Hi everyone, I'm Steve Wiss and I'm joined by Jonathan Fadupa and this is the latest edition of the Nordic Football Podcasts. And we've got a little bit of a different show for you in this edition. We've got a very special guest lined up, haven't we, John? Hi Steve, hi everyone. Yes, it's a blockbuster edition of the podcast today. We've got a, a really special guest uh, and I've been on the road this week trying to track him down uh, to bring to you, the listeners. And um, yeah, I'm excited to present to you the final product. Steve, you're you're familiar with the Norwegian world, so perhaps you're the one for the introduction on this one. Yes, I'm delighted to be able to welcome Ian Birchnell to this episode for an exclusive interview. Ian uh, is a past coach at Leeds United, Bradford City, Sarpsborg, and of course last season he was the head coach at Viking. And unfortunately the club from Stavania got relegated in 2017 and Ian was removed from his duties. But we felt it was a great chance for us now to get his version of events from last season. So he's going to give us a great insight into the club in addition to a bunch of other things. John, we sent you over to meet Ian this week, so I'll leave it in your capable hands now. Ian, thank you very much for, for joining us on the show. Uh, yeah, really excited to speak to you. Obviously, you're a, uh, as, as an English coach out there and a... And a in a privileged position to be able to speak to you, so thank you for thank you for joining us. Yeah, um, pleasure. How have you been? How's things? Good. Been uh, relaxing a little bit. A few months out of the limelight and out of the pressure is quite nice. So just relaxing at home, spending some time with the family, and and uh, yeah, reflecting on last season, and, and, and that's it really. So yeah, I could say. It's nice to relax and have some family time. I'd say I'm a little bored as well, yeah. <laughs> kicking my heels. And I've tried to get around a few clubs and I've watched a lot of games. I've kind of ground hopped around different places and I've been to see some training. And and uh, yeah, that's it really. That's good stuff. Yeah, and no, I mean, uh, I saw that you've obviously been on, on Twitter and that kind of thing, like looking yeah. around at different clubs um, and that sort of stuff. So we'll come on to your coaching philosophies and kind of you know your inspirations yeah. in general in a bit. Um, I wanted to sort of begin on that subject really. Um, You've obviously come from coaching university and you know youth teams that kind of thing in England to, to go into one of the top clubs in Norway. Um, who were your sort of early influences maybe as a coach? <clears throat> Whether that's more experienced coaches who mentored you or people you looked up to just in general in football. Who who did you get your early influences from as a young manager? It's interesting because when I went into Leeds United, I kind of went in on the the football in the community side and then built into the the academy and I, I was with the under nines. I was with Sean Constable, who I know you've had on the podcast before. That's assistant at Sandefjord now. Um, and I have to say, when I started at Leeds United, the quality of the coaching in the academy was very, very good. And, and going in there as like a 20-year-old university student, just getting into coaching and getting into a B licence, there was a lot of experienced guys, guys like um, Arthur Graham, ex-Man United and ex-Leeds player. There was guys, Greg Abbott, Rick Passmore, lo- loads of really, really talented uh, youth coaches in there. So obviously I was taking, I was watching a lot of sessions, I was learning a lot about uh, about coaching young players and and uh, you know I was a bit of a sponge then so mm. I was taking everything in I moved to Bradford City there was uh, one of the coaches had spent a lot of time working with Rennie Mullenstein at, at Man United Alan Neverson very very good coach a different way of yeah. thinking so kind of everywhere I've been I've tried to draw little bits of experiences and ideas from different people no like big names or anything like that that, that you can throw around but if you go into some of the academies, you, you're going to find great coaches yeah. there and people that are really thinking about football. So took a lot from the people that are around me. And then as like top managers that I used to look at, obviously 
when I was getting into the coaching, I wasn't, you know, Guardiola and Mourinho were not around. But I looked at guys like, uh, obviously, my, my kind of love for football grew in, like, around Italia 90 yeah. with Gaza. Yeah. And for me, it was like Bobby Robson. Yeah. And part of it was like just the, the human being behind yeah. the coach and how he was as a person. And when you saw him, you were like, you, you just know that people want to play for yeah. a guy like that. So when you look at it and how he would maybe communicate with the players and the press and you think this is real class and that's the kind of person that you maybe look to as a, as an inspiration yeah I mean probably also is obviously inspirational manager yeah. and managed abroad in many different yeah. countries as well and gained experience what would you say is your idea of the way football maybe should be played um, not all managers have a set idea obviously many yeah. many change it but maybe a key philosophy that they might have or a key idea do you have one and um whether that's the tactics or what you ask of your players just generally in terms of how they conduct themselves you know that kind of thing yeah it's a difficult one because like you, you find now when you talk about like philosophies or, or kind of a lot of buzzwords around yeah. about uh, about style it, it's difficult because some people sit want to sit and I found this in Norway a little bit you, you're either play from the back and try and play mm. or you're low, low block long ball set pieces yeah. and there's no like mid ground and, uh, and for me, of course, I would like the teams that I, I work with, it's about building the confidence in the players to be able to cope with the ball. So I want my team to be able to have confidence with the ball. If that means play from behind, it means play from behind in the right moments. But really, I want us to be confident when we have possession of the ball and I want us to be attack-minded when we have the ball. So yeah. to be... But really, in terms of philosophies, I wouldn't say like wingers have to play in, in between the lines <coughs> in pockets or, or wingers have to be wide because you have to look at the personnel. So part of your tactical makeup has to be player-centred. You have to look at the team that you've got and say, how can I maximise the qualities of the players that I've got and then try and utilise the players in those roles. But you should have some fundamental principles that you stick by. And of course, that for me is like all players should be comfortable when receiving the ball and be able to to cope under pressure with the ball because if you can cope under pressure you can build from behind play through the lines um, and adapt quite well so I think like of course I have these like grounded principles and then I have some flexibility based on the players that I've got and I think that's having quite a player-centered approach when you do it and then in terms of what I demand from the players I think that what I've always tried to do is is try to implement some sort of culture within the group for hard work, accountability, players that want to improve and search for new ways to be better. Yeah. So when I look at players, I want players that want to be better. Don't matter if they're 33 or 19, they have to want to improve and, and, and look at the margins that they can improve on. And I think that's the kind of environment that yeah. you want to try and create. Do you have any examples of that kind of, um, you know, like you said, uh, maybe creating accountability or, or creating a, a, a squad of players where they want to be better is there is there maybe one or two things that you've already in your coaching life sort of yeah. maybe implemented that you you know you took from, when uh, we went into I think also within the group it's important mm. to have kind of like the, the player the buy-in of, of certain key individuals in that group that really believe in what you're doing and I think when we went to when we went to Sarpsborg uh, we had a we had a handful of kind of senior players in there that really had I mean we had Jeremy Bertold for example Jeremy won four French league titles with Lyon and he played at Monaco and, and the guy was top class yeah. I, I don't know how we yeah. got him at Salzburg to be <laughs> fair we, we got him in there and, and, and we were waiting for this big time Charlie to turn up yeah. and, and I tell you what the most grounded hard working 
fantastic guy. And do you know what? We, we kind of tried to say to the players, we watched some of the players and, and training finished and they went in. And we were saying to them, is there any, re- why, why is Jeremy, who's 29, has won four French league titles, stood out in the rain, crossing extra balls to practice and then we've got players that are going in so we try to use him and set him as an example and say this guy is somebody that we should look to and the kind of things he's doing and, I, and, and there was I had Mohamed El Anoussi there who, who of course has kicked on to Basel and has been fantastic he would stay out and always do extra and would always push himself to be in fact we had to get him off the training pitch sometimes because we've got a game tomorrow get yeah. off the pitch so uh, we, we tried to set some individual things but we tried to use some of the key leaders in the group yeah. as ambassadors yeah. for what we were trying to do yeah that's really interesting I mean you, obviously for those you know, many will be familiar with you, and there'll be some others who maybe aren't so familiar with you. So, you've just come off um, the back of a season at Viking, a very challenging season, obviously, yeah. in which the club were relegated. I mean, we're going to come on to that in, in a bit yeah. more detail in a bit, but at the moment, just want to kind of outline your, your philosophies, as you mentioned. So, you mentioned that you were going sort of out on the training field and you went to many clubs, even since you've left Viking, to, mm. to look at um, different clubs. Um, tell us about how you maybe set up a, a coaching session on a day to day basis. What's your daily routine in, in terms of coaching when you were at Viking? What kind of things did you work on maybe for, for a young coach who's looking to understand day-to-day life as a manager, if that makes sense? I mean, each day is a little bit different based on when the game is and when the last game was because then there's there's different physical demands on the players that you're trying to kind of meet yeah. during the week. I mean, a typical day for me, I, I would go in around seven into the, into the club, get in there spend maybe 45 minutes looking at some of the clips of the opposition that mm. we're, we're going to play next so sure. whether that could be some set pieces their build up play some of their attacking patterns and things like that um, and then normally bring us all the staff in together to have a meeting where we would discuss some of the things that we want to, to make sure that we do during the day so set up the session if you like then use some time to for like go down in it, be in and around the dressing room and, and small conversations with the players and key bits of interaction with the players. And then normally we go out like 10, at 10 o'clock out to the training pitch. Fitness coach would start with, with having his process to prepare the players. And then it depends on what the day entails, but it, sometimes some technical sessions or a possession session that would mm. build in. But a lot of the sessions that I tried to do were if we were playing a team that say was vulnerable after a switch of play or vulnerable in wide areas Mm. and we we knew that switching the point of attack was going to be important early in the week maybe the possession sessions would have a focus on switch so I wouldn't be hammering the players for this is exactly what we've got to do at the weekend Mm. but try and sow a few seeds early in the week that without them knowing it they're going to do a lot of switches of play because I'm I'm going to want to draw that out later in the week when we maybe do more tactics and more shape so early in the week is a lot of play Possessions that are some small sided four against four on a Thursday might be 8v8, 9v9, but always try to have a, a focus on some of the key tactical inputs that might come up at the weekend yeah. and then get closer to the weekend and get a little bit more detailed on the opposition that we're facing. Yeah. Uh, key tactical inputs, bigger pitch, 11v11, set pieces, things like that. Yeah. So each day was uh, each day was was different in terms of, of what we're doing. Uh, but always we try to keep a focus on what we want from our players, mm. f- what fits with our game plan, our game model, and slowly drip drip in mm. key things to do with the opposition. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's probably fair to say that you're well. I mean, there's not many coaches at your young age. I mean, I think you're 35 or 35, so, yes. so yeah, Just, not, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, in terms of it, your experience, right? 
you're probably one of the youngest um, coaches at the moment who works at the top level in England. So yeah. you know, it's really interesting to get your point of view on yeah. you know, how you set things up. And you know, you obviously had to learn a lot of things in, in a small period of time. You've gone from under eights and kind of coaching to one of yeah. the top clubs in, in Norway. Obviously, Viking was a massive, a massive club. Um, so let's move on to that now, kind of in a, you know. How easy is it just to begin with as an Englishman to coach in Norway and coach abroad? You say the biggest challenges and, and how did your pathway to Viking kind of come about? Yeah, it was, I'd say, I, I, it's difficult to say how how coaching abroad, it depends what country you're in I yeah, guess. Yeah. I mean, I imagine going to uh, Russia is different to going to Norway or going to, going to work in South Africa yeah. is different. You know, I spoke to Shella went to the guy I worked with in Viking mm. went to South Africa yeah. and I had some stories from yeah. him and that was a very different environment. <laughs> yeah. So working abroad, what one thing is a wonderful thing to go in and get new coaching influences yeah. from new cultures um, and, and embrace a new culture, new language, new lifestyle. Challenges that come with it, part of it is family driven challenges, mm. you know. We had two daughters born yeah. out there. We had uh, obviously no family support mm. living there. We often have family coming over, but behind the scenes, it demands a lot when you're yeah. certainly when you're a head coach as well in terms of time and and weekends away yeah. and time away. So your wife maybe bears the brunt of a lot yeah. of the the, de- the demands when you when you coach abroad. And, and I, I can't say language is a problem because the Norwegians are just so flawlessly good at English yeah. that I tended to coach in English because they preferred it right. and they understood everything. And if I coached in Nor- Norwegian. Mm they understood like 30% of what yeah. I was saying because it was pretty it was okay but not, not good enough so um, they preferred it in English and, and so language wasn't a huge problem but you know the, there's a stigma around English coaches sometimes um, old school long ball Brian Clough style yeah. you know not, not a bad thing but but uh, there's a stigma attached to yeah. the English coach the Mike Bassett maybe style yeah. that you have to break down and you have to show yourself to be kind of more rounded yeah. than that when you when you get out there and, but I, I was out there obviously I, I was 29 uh, I was at University of Leeds I was at Bradford City in the academy there I met Brian Dean Brian was a great guy helped me out with the university stuff and, and he he was looking for opportunities and he went to he spoke to somebody and we strangely got a job interview at a, a, a small club which is doing fantastic now but Sarpsborg hmm. When I spoke to the guys at Salzburg, I knew instantly that the club would suit the way I saw football because really? they, the values that the club had were almost identical to mine. Right. So we went over there. They just got promoted to the, the top league. We kept them up. And then we had a really good second season. And during that second season, Brian, Brian was leaving the club. Um, I was offered a new contract there, but I didn't. there was a lot of things changing, a lot of things happening. So I kind of didn't sign straight away and just... just let's see what happens yeah. and and then a few clubs started talking to me and Viking was one of the clubs that that was interesting I spoke with Arnold Larson Oakland who was the like the CEO at the time absolutely fantastic guy I was blown away by the stadium and the city and everything so for me it felt like okay this this is a really good step the history of the club was good Roy Hodgson Uwe Rosler Olga Harai the big coaches have been there before um, so I felt like it was kind of the next step for me then I, I, I talked to Shelley Andre who, who, who needed an assistant at the time and so I signed a contract there signed for two years initially and after six or seven months I was offered a new four year deal there so I ended up signing a, a long contract with the club mm. yeah I mean obviously it was yeah your first season of Viking was you know, it goes without saying I think it's fair to say it was a challenging 
challenging sort of experience for yeah. you. Um, as we mentioned, yeah, your first season of Viking ending kind of in relegation, but at the same time, fans were quite unhappy when you left, which, which says a lot. Tell us about your first season as, as the main man in charge of a, of a football club, <laughs> and I'm sure wow. you've got a lot to say. Where shall we start with this one? Um, where to start with this one? It's um, when Sheller left and they talked to me, I was kind of like, okay, the club is in a really bad situation mm. economically, really bad. Um, but I spoke to the directors and they were kind of saying, look Ian, uh, this is going to be a process, we've hit the bottom, yeah. we've hit the bottom, <laughs> we're going to build up now, we're going to build up. And, uh, and I took some time and I said, this is going to be a tough job. But everybody I spoke to in Norway was saying, if Viking offer you the manager's job at 33, no way can you turn it down. You'll never get the opportunity again, maybe. You can't turn it down. It's too big a club. Yeah. <coughs> and I was like, yeah, but I've been in the club for two years. I know it's chaotic. Scheller came around to my house and said, I don't know if you should do it. It's like, I, I, I can see where this is going. Mm. And uh, But I spoke to the club. We've hit the bottom. That we want three-year contract. We want you to build it. You know, we believe in you. So I kind of said, okay, this is a good opportunity. This, this, I'm going to take it. <coughs> and then got through into the the January period, and, and we try. You know, I had no centre backs. I had Carol Metz, but and I had young Rasmus Martinson coming from the youth team. hadn't really played top level, yeah. so I was, I was really struggling at the back. We lost Joachim Jurgensen, very good player. AJ Suarez, very good player. I said, I need experience tried to sign somebody and, and uh, Egert Jonsson just as we were trying to sign and the board kind of called me in and said listen Ian we're in trouble we've got no money to spend not one you can't use one crown in this window and we've lost some big players at this point they said you're just going to have to try and get the youth team up and galvanise the, the, the squad we believe in you we know it's going to be tough we know we can go down but we can't risk the economic survival of the mm. club and we're behind you you know if we go down we go down together yeah. and I was like oh my god we're, we're in trouble this is going to be an interesting one yeah. so we, we, we promoted a lot of young players we, we did our best to, to try and galvanise the team we, we, we had a really rough start to the season and then we got a couple of results we beat odd 3-0 we drew a brand away and we, we kind of we, we, our performances weren't too bad we were a uh, little unlucky in one or two games a little naive in one or two games but we got through to the summer and then in the summer nine players went out of the squad you know a lot of the lone players that we tried to bring in gone we sold Samuel Adig Benro was kind of told if we don't settle him we get deducted points wow. and, you know I was faced with a lot of situations that were really <laughs> challenging yeah. so it was very very chaotic behind the scenes you sometimes felt like that you know you know the duck that's on the water you're trying to be smooth above <laughs> yeah. it but underneath the water you're yeah. pedaling like a lunatic <laughs> you know we had we had the kit man was sacked the scout was sacked the analyst was sacked physio was leaving at lunchtime it was real tough period behind the clubs but it was an incredible experience to to try and to try and take such a such a monumental task and and pull it off which we didn't do but uh but it was it was certainly a, a big learning experience for yeah, me. Can imagine, as we mentioned, you know, Vikings' financial problems at the time were quite well documented. So, <coughs> yeah. when you took the job, did you know how how bad things were? I mean, you, you've hinted there that you kind of knew it was going to get worse when you, as your time went on in charge. And how did you kind of firefight? Was it you know it must yeah. have been quite difficult for you to firefight, knowing that behind the scenes things were kind of tougher than you, yeah. you know, the club. I can say they 
the, the financial situation was worse than I thought it was when I took the job. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that, and I have to say that I have to say about the club that it's a brilliant football club, yeah. even though it's going for a really crappy time. Yeah. Uh, it's a brilliant football club. Yeah. Uh, there are good people in the club really working their arse off to try and make it better but it has been mismanaged for many years which is why it's where, where it is and it's a shame that I was there when it was at that point yeah. but I think if it wasn't at that point I wouldn't have had that job anyway yeah. because before me was like Roy Hodgson yeah. and Uwe Rosler they, they don't take yeah. a 33 year old first time yeah. coach to do it when you know 10 years before so that was kind of part of the took it knowing that there was yeah. sadly some compromises with it but yeah it was there was some firefighting to be done but the players were class the players knew it was difficult they didn't whine and moan about things they didn't have they got on with it we tried to galvanise kind of a, a unity and a spirit within the team and a belief we kind of went down and said listen this is bad but this is our job that we've got to do and we've got to do our best with what we've got there's no point in complaining about the things we don't have the supporters were brilliant. The supporters were yeah. brilliant. Honestly, the Viking Horden and Viking Oslo and the guys that were, the, they were top class, you know. I, we were losing games and they were calling me over and I was thinking, I'm going to get abused here. I'm going <laughs> to get hammered. And they were like, come on Ian, we believe yeah. in you. Like, we yeah. think you're doing a great job yeah. and we know how tough it is. And and uh, I was like, wow. You, you, the, I, I thought that the maybe... People, players might turn against me or yeah. supporters might but they all stood firm because I think they knew yeah. the context the yeah. situation yeah. And, and therefore we kind of did get this we, we tried to galvanise a kind of us against everybody else yeah. but of course couldn't do enough yeah. to, 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 yeah. to stay up but we, we certainly tried to draw that mentality out yeah, I mean, statistical experts of, of, of the Elitisarian last season were repeatedly sort of stressing, and we had it on the podcast as well, kind of the underlying numbers of, of Viking. You know, things like expected goals, you actually yeah. you actually far better than maybe yeah. the league position suggested. Did you get a bit tired of hearing that after a while? Yeah, it must we, have been frustrating. I think thoughts on that? certainly early on in the season it was, you've been so unlucky and you're playing such good football and you're playing so well, but you're not getting results. And I kind of was like, I remember we played Starbeck and we played a great game I spoke to Tony Ordinas after we went for a coffee with him and he was like Ian you I don't know we don't we didn't deserve to steal a point from you there you played the perfect away game and we did but like 94 and a half minutes that Ohi has hit a worldy volley in and I'm like how is this happening like and and afterwards everyone was saying you know everybody feels a bit for you everybody thinks it's tough for you and I was like, I'd rather everyone hates me and I'm winning. Yeah. I think I remember you. Said <laughs> Do you know that what I mean? I think yeah. I said that in an interview. I'd rather, but but and and uh, like you say, the underlying numbers said that we were better than we were. But what happens is the squad was very very young, very inexperienced, and and when you don't get what you deserve out of some games and you get stung a little bit late on, it's not only it, it then the performance is one thing but the confidence yeah, exactly. and the mental resilience is, is something else so that became a challenge I remember we, we conceded a, a really late goal against Mulder we came back from 2-0 to 2-2 to, to we were 2-0 down at half time we came back 2-2 and then they scored it was a lucky goal it was like off a shin and yeah, all over the place <laughs> and I remember somebody said you know everybody's starting to feel sorry for you and I remember Solskjaer was like in the mix zone and Ole Gunnar and he just said I don't feel sorry for him <laughs> 
<laughs> he says uh, you okay? like jokingly but yeah. you know he was like no no listen this is what we do you know we can't we can't yeah. spend too much time feeling sorry for you this is the game so. well it's no surprise that the king of late goals didn't have any sympathy yeah, 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 about yeah. late goals no, 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 but he was a bit <laughs> but, ban- it was a bit yeah. banter like but um, yeah obviously con- conceding late goals was a recurring theme Oof, at, at yeah. King. I mean could you explain it was, was it simply bad luck looking ahead maybe oh. to future jobs is there yeah. something you could do maybe going forward to address yeah. that or was it just individuals and bad luck no, it can't all be bad luck. When it, eight times, I think we mm. conceded after ninety minutes, which is part of it was that we we did. And I'm not digging the young players, but we had a generally inexperienced team. Mm. So there was moments like like Starbeck, Patrick Pedersen missed a one on one with the keeper. A minute later, he has the opportunity just to make a foul on the yeah. on the defender and stop him from clearing. Then we can get reorganised. Yeah. But that naivety that that misses the press doesn't create a foul. Yeah. And then we miss the the clearance on the long ball. So some of it was kind of a little bit of naivety some of it was tactical I would like to have brought a, another defender on mm. but but first half of the season we didn't have any on the bench yeah. I had like because of the inability to bring anybody in in January meant we had a really uh, unbalanced squad we had like six wingers and no defenders so often I didn't quite have the personnel to change the game yeah. from a defensive perspective and, and then the, the final thing is when it happens once or twice it's trying to get out of that mindset when that 90 minutes comes on and you're at 1-1 because it, you've been stung before the mindset that you've got to try and get out of is well, now we fall back fall deep and it's the pressure's coming on us and you can do it you're doing everything you can to try and get to get the boys out and to get them not falling so low and to, or to stop the crosses but so it was uh, many, many factors, I yeah. think, but it was uh, bloody frustrating. That's <laughs> what it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all things considered, you know, I think I think there are a lot of positives, personally, you know, just from an outsider's perspective. And I think you do leave with your reputation intact, to be honest, based on what the fans say. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, all things considered, would you have liked to have remained at Viking? Um, yeah. Led them into the second division? Or yeah. Did you feel it was time to move yeah. on? Yeah, no, I didn't feel it was time to move on. I felt like I knew that this was going to be a really, really tough season. Um I felt that at the end of the season, after reflecting on everything, I was going to be a better manager, mm. a better coach, because of the situation that had just happened. Mm. And and coaches are no different to players. You're constantly evolving and developing yeah. and searching to be better. Um, and I would say I added strings to my bow during that year. And, and I wasn't... I, I remained mentally tough. I wasn't broken down by the experience. I was... Uh, I was still focused on yeah. the task in, in hand. So I felt like, look, going into next year, I've experienced maybe the toughest situation that a manager can experience and I'm I'm still here and I'm still ready to fight and I'm still ready to go into the new season. So I believe that the lessons learned from the previous year would have really benefited me and the club. But when the club was in the situation that it was and the pressure starts coming and everybody starts feeling it within the club, Everybody starts looking for a scapegoat or somebody to dump it on, and of course, the co- that's the nature of the game, and, and I have to accept that a little bit. That that's how it goes. So, it kind of dropped on me, and and you saw the reaction from the supporters and the petitions that came out online, and you know that they were disappointed with the club's decision. But I, I believe that if I took the team now, and I've seen that the you know the money I saved last yeah. year is is they're certainly being able to bring in players yeah. this year. They brought a lot of players yeah. in. I, I think I definitely could have help them come yeah. back up I believe that but they didn't necessarily yeah. not, not everybody believed it in the same way and therefore if they don't believe in me it's okay for me yeah. to move on to the new thing when, when it was sort of um, obviously towards the end of, of your time there did, was there 
how was it towards the end of your time and well, tell us about obviously the experience when they kind of let you it go was, was it, it must have been a difficult experience yeah, it, for you it was tough on the summer it was tough on the summer out because I felt like we were quite a tight group of players um, and this is not against the players that came in because it was a really difficult situation for them to come in we were struggling near the bottom of the league we had Carol Metz Patrick Pedersen uh, Quezzi Appiah Ledger Shrew uh, Samuel Haddock Benro of course we sold uh, along with a couple of the young players mm-hmm. all left um, and then there's a lot of spaces to fill in the dressing room mid-season we didn't think that we'd have any money because we were told that we wouldn't and then suddenly there was a great initiative and they managed to find something to try and help us but we had to get in kind of six or seven players at least to try and impact and if you try and buy Scandinavian players in the summer window you have to buy them out of the contract so it costs a lot so suddenly we were taking a lot of free agents and uh, they haven't played a game since April so it was almost like giving them a new mm. pre-season in the middle so, and, and the group we needed a couple of good results straight away uh, to galvanise the group and, and when we didn't get them because the group needed a few games together to gel yeah. we were already on our arse and then the, the problem was a little bit was uh, then it was a discussion on accountability who brought the players in uh, then it became much much more tense on a daily basis and, and I, I could feel it coming you know I could I could sniff it coming the atmosphere changed a little bit around the club and and I could feel that the knives were out a little bit and it is tough to work in that environment there you mm-hmm. know but I have to say the staff around me the players I mean the players were, were loyal and yeah. the dressing room never turned and they were really good guys to work with so I can't I can't say anything bad about them but but it was it was what it was it was a difficult situation for everybody yeah. so uh, who said to me I, I did the pro licence with Bob Bradley mm. and we would di- we did this like role play for when you you're like a boardroom yeah. and you're under pressure and they're good, <laughs> really? good so yeah you have to do all these different things on the pro licence like management situations so you've got like a squad list and you're under fire and you've got to go in and defend oh. yourself and uh, everyone talked to Bob about it and Bob was like listen you've got to get sacked a few times just to toughen you <laughs> up and you, you ain't a real head coach until you've been sacked so I was like and then like Shella was ringing me now you're a real head coach now you've been fired so I was like yeah okay yeah, yeah i just got to take this as part of the game really yeah. and not take it too personally so yeah would you yeah. say that you know towards the end ultimately you felt a little bit betrayed by the people in charge or yeah one and, or two also, one or two yeah, yeah one or two uh, only because they they had told me that they knew that this was going to be an almost impossible task and when we go down we go down fighting together mm. and those people that said that kind of dug me out a little bit mm. when when uh, when we were heading down they suddenly it wasn't about that it was about results and yeah. it wasn't about being together yeah. we need we need to get an experienced guy in now yeah. we need a more experienced guy so I felt a little bit disappointed in one or two but but it's the nature of the beast a little bit this is if I'm going to be in football for the next 20 years I can't be surprised by these situations so it's a great learning experience for me Would you say you enjoyed your time in the overall and would you prefer to sort of if we look to your next role maybe would you prefer to sort of move back or stay closer to home or are you open minded? Um, I absolutely love my time there mm. uh, I'd go straight back um, given, it, given the right opportunity uh, I think it's a fantastic country both my daughters were born there um, <clears throat> my eldest was speaking really good Norwegian mm. before he left um, beautiful country great people and I enjoyed the football you know I was part of the football community there and uh, had a lot of good friends in the football community so certainly would be interested to go back out and and seek a new challenge out there but you know it's also there's so many places to uh, I know if you ask my wife 
having been around like her family and friends a lot now the last few months she's kind of feeling like oh it'd be good if you got a club you know in England and and uh, you started to work in England a little bit because you know we're close to family so I'm quite open you know for me it's about the people I'm working with the club's ambitions and, and trying to find something that kind of fits for me so totally open could go back there could be here yeah I'm going to come on to that in a minute in terms of you said the, the Norwegian football community because that quite interests me. I want to touch on that in a, in a little bit. But I want to sort of first uh, ask you, you said you'd be open to staying in England. Have you had much interest uh, since you've come back? And I don't know if you're allowed to say that, obviously. And also, just as a, as a coach coming from abroad back to your own country, how is it you know, coming back? Obviously, you, you've kind of, it's, in a way, you're kind of coming back into a new environment. Yeah, new, it, but it, it is your own country. It's, that makes sense. it's strange a little bit because... I feel a little bit like I'm, I'm out the loop because I've kind of been away. I've been doing my thing in in Norway, and, and I haven't made a big um, haven't made a big thing about what I've been doing out there. I'm not I'm not wonderful at self promotion and being a guy. You know, I'm on Twitter because I like to interact a little bit on there, and, but I'm not a big um, guy that's uh, blogging and telling everybody about what I'm doing all the time. So so kind of haven't had that much press back here and, and have kind of gone under the radar so to speak so I've come back and it's like building relationships yeah. really with people so I've spoken to some really good people around there they've helped me out I've got tickets at different games and I've kind of talked to agents and one or two not not directly to clubs but about jobs that are popping up but it's not easy it's um, you know there's a lot of good coaches a lot of good uh, talented people going after similar jobs and, and it's a very very tough environment to pick something up you have to stand out a little bit I'm hoping that my five years working in the top league working with many international players kind of helps me stand out a little different and that, that I can be provided with an opportunity but but uh, yeah so it does feel a little bit like I've moved back to a foreign country even though I'm moving <laughs> yeah, exactly. home so it's, it's an interesting one but yeah I'm, I'm I'm not directly talking to any clubs, but certainly I'm, I'm, I'm interested if the, when things are coming up yeah, to, exactly. to try to see if I'm, yeah. I'm uh, and, the right and person. On the subject of, yeah, like you said, the, the, the football community, I mean, uh, according to reports, your friends with sort of Graham Potter uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Mark yeah. Dempsey as well, and yeah. obviously you've worked with uh, Brian Dean, yeah. um, who was in Norway, and Sean Constable. Is there a sort of honour among thieves among the UK <laughs> coaches abroad? You know what yeah, I mean? Is there a sort of a, a, little bit like a WhatsApp like, group or something? Do you no, guys communicate regularly, not, uh, help not, each other out off the field? Not, not, really, about not, the, not, not really a WhatsApp group, yeah. so to speak, but we, we kind of understand. I, I, I went over to Ostersunds, uh, we played a game against uh, yeah. Ostersunds last year. Um, and I know Graham really well. I was texting him yesterday, and, and we'll probably catch up this week. I've not talked to him so much since he become a big star. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's uh, a bit bigger than me now. So, but no, but he's a quality guy. I mean this. I'm, I'm, he should be getting a, a prem job. I, I totally believe that because the job he's done at Ostersunds is outstanding. The yeah. football they play is great, um, and the way that his mind is thinking, he is total modern football coach in my eyes um, but I know him from Leeds University yeah, days exactly. and, and uh, I spoke to him before he went out to, to Ustersons and, and he went out there I visited him when he was out there and, and we spoke a lot on the phone about different things as uh, different challenges that we were facing uh, Dempsey the same I speak to Dempsey on the phone sometimes Dempsey's a quality guy I think he's going to do a great job at start but Dempsey is like I reckon Dempsey's still got a Nokia 3210 <laughs> uh, he is like old school He's not on Twitter and Facebook Thanks, and all mate. of this nonsense. He's not bothered about any of that. He's a football man. He's not bothered about any of this modern day uh, modern day stuff. 
but he's a quality coach yeah. with great experience. So you, you'll never hear Dempsey's name popping yeah. up in, in newspaper yeah. articles around in England, but he's done a brilliant yeah. job. Uh, he did a great job at Hogerson, even though he left under a bit of a cloud. Jew Gardens, he did a big yeah. club in Sweden. They wanted him to stay. I think he's going to do a great job at start. But it's uh, so yeah, we all speak on the phone a little bit because we all know what each of us going through, <laughs> and it's uh, so a bit of a network. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the subject of of, of, of I, I mean, I was at the, the Arsenal game when they beat yeah. the Emirates, and yeah, you know, you've said that you think he's, he's ready for Premier League management, and um, yeah, doesn't surprise me to be honest. In terms of players that you've coached uh, yourself. Do you have like maybe a, a top three of players or some players that you've coached? And obviously, Samuel Adebayo is one who's had interest on our podcast talking about him. As yeah. A focus. You know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about him as well and how far you think he could go. Football. Samuel's Samuel's outstanding. Samuel came in. You know, we. Uh, I'll tell you a story about them too. We just got a call. Atenaki, the agent, <clears throat> said, "I've got two boys. You should have a look at them. You know, I'll fix everything. Flies, hotel." And we were like skeptical. What well, these two, Suleiman Abdullah and Samuel Adik Benro, <laughs> got off the plane middle of uh, winter in in Stavanger in a pair of flip flops and sh- <laughs> like t shirt, and I'm thinking, what about this? Put them in the first training session from, that, from Nigeria. Yeah, right? from Nigeria <laughs> to Stavanger in a pair of flip flops, and it's like minus five. Took them up to the indoor arena where we were training, put them in a little passing drill, and I'm looking at them, I'm thinking little possession game oh the touch is okay yeah interesting interesting kicked off in this like 8 against 8 Samuel picked up the ball I reckon he ghosted past 3 or 4 and just chipped the keeper and we were like hang on a minute where's this guy come from and then Abdullahi like uh, Indridi Sigurdsson hits this big diagonal ball it like drops over his shoulder and he hits it on the volley bar and in and we were like me and Shella looked at each other and we were saying, oh my God. And uh, uh, Indy just looked over at us and just said, sign them, sign them. <laughs> so the, he, he came in and it's not, oh, I've never seen a trial like that before. And he kind of, it took him a while to get the, it's a big difference, cultural differences for, for training. And, the, you know, he, he certainly wasn't fit enough when he came. But he's left, and he was a beast when he left. Yeah. You know, the last six months—I mean, the, the six months that I had him as a, when I was managing—oof, what a player! And I wasn't surprised when we sold him to Rosenborg, and and then he goes and scores a winner against Ajax the next week. So I think he can t- certainly take another step. Um, whether he's top three, yeah, he's probably top three. Aaron Samuel uh, at Sarpsborg went on to play at CSK Moscow, was a beast of a centre forward, but probably the best best I've worked with. I have to say is probably Elanusi and I was not surprised when he's I, I sent him a message after the game uh, when he scored against Man City yeah. in the Champions League and really proud of him because I had him when he was 18-19 breaking into the first team what a talent but I'll tell you what forget about his skills his mentality he's a tough kid mentally he is ready to work and train and do extra he, he's probably the best I think that I've worked with at first team level, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's. I mean, you know, he's he's at that level now where he's playing against the, the, the elite yeah. players, and you've obviously seen him from a young player. Yeah. Would, you, would you say he could go take steps higher as well? From, yeah, from <coughs> I think he could play Prem. Yeah, yeah, Prem La Liga. <coughs> it's funny because when I spoke to Moy and when he was a little bit younger, I said to him, "You you can go. I think you can play in the Premier League." And he said to me, "Don't know if I want to play in the Premier League. I like Spanish football." He said, <laughs> "So maybe he's a smart boy. Yeah. Maybe maybe he knows that Spanish game suits him better." But you know, I, I certainly think. When I was finishing my pro license, I did a little study trip and spent five days at Leicester. Um, and I talked to the. They, he was on their radar, I think, 
while back publicly as well you know it was yeah. public public knowledge that Leicester were kind of tracking him a little bit and they asked me about him and I said I really believe that he can play at that level maybe this and I think Tory Pedersen's his agent smart guy put him in at Basel because he mm. knows it's a really smart step before yeah. uh, maybe the next one but I certainly think he can make the next step without doubt really interesting um, so yeah you obviously we talked about Master Sins as well I mean looking to just general kind of conversation about the Norwegian season ahead yeah. Do you have any outsiders or any thoughts on the season coming? As a, you know, from your own perspective, teams to look out for, kind of maybe. Or, yeah. Um, but you you can uh, back me up on this. Uh, yeah. Yesterday we spoke yeah. on the phone yeah. and yeah. I said Sarpsborg will beat Rosenborg. I definitely said, and also told you the other day start are my dark horses and they started well, so I'm pleased with that. So I think uh, I am really really interested and also pleased to see what Sarpsborg obviously my previous club have been able to do Gearback has done a wonderful job there and with Thomas Bernson as well yeah. as sports director have done a wonderful job I think they've really strengthened so I think that they can push along with Mulder and Godset can push uh, Rosenborg really hard this year really? I think Rosenborg have got a fantastic squad I think they're going to have to to get Bentner and Söderland both together or who's going to play I think they've got sort of one or two challenges there mm. But I think so. I think it, it can be much tighter at the top, and I think as a dark horse, maybe top five, top six, Stark can yeah. can pop up there because I, I know Dempsey. I know he's going to do a good job. So yeah, I mean, I watched Stark yesterday, and they, they seeing the way they played was really impressive. So yeah. I think you could be could be correct on that analysis there. Um, we're going to round it off now with a couple more questions yeah. uh, just about yourself and you know your, yeah. your own coaching background before we finish. And like I say, you know, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's one thing I read in an interview that you gave. I'm, I'm quite, I wanted to pick up on. You said that basically, um, there was a in terms of your coaching career in England. You said that before you moved out out to Norway in England. You said that there was something always blocking the route in England when you wanted to take the next step up. And you also said that people value the education and experience a bit more abroad. I wondered if you could uh, elaborate on that. If you had in terms of what yeah. was blocking, it really interested me. Just to, you said yeah. that you know, as a young coach, maybe what did you feel was blocking your route and what are your thoughts on the, the system in England in general for, for a young manager? I, I think it's. It, I found it hard to go to take that transition from kind of under 16s to get that full-time youth team coach job or uh, to get near to the first team. It was kind of like if you don't know the the gaffer, <laughs> yeah. he brings his own guys in that he trusts and and break into that um, thing. And I, I kind of felt like. It's, it's almost like people want to have this trade-off. You've got ex-pros and you've got non-ex-pros. And non-ex-pros are laptop coaches and ex-pros don't like to be on the laptop. But it ain't true, you know. Graham Potter's an ex-pro, but he's also educated and he does... You know, there's a lot of ex-pros that are fantastic at doing uh, youth coaching or fantastic at doing all the analysis on the laptop. And there's also non-ex-pros that are fantastic at... Uh, can go and coach at first team level without problem but it seems like there's kind of like uh, some barriers for both actually Uh, the barriers for me were as a non-ex player whether or not the top players would respect what I've got to say because where have you been who are you do you know what I mean that that kind of mentality Um, and and I was a you know I was a sports science graduate and, and took a slightly different route and then sometimes it was a little bit like well you're a you, you're a bit sciencey, or you're a bit like, and you're like, God, what? Whereas, I think I, 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 you go abroad, and and I went to Norway, 
and the majority of the players that I'm coaching are also doing degrees. They're, you know, Indrini Sigurdsson's doing a master's degree when he finishes training up in the, you know, you go up into the sponsor boxes at Viking and they're full of our players yeah. doing their degrees. Yeah. So there's kind of a slightly different, maybe, outlook to that. That's really fascinating. I mean, uh, yeah, to, to fi- final sort of question, really, where did you, where would you see yourself maybe in sort of the, you know, three, four, five years' time? I know it's a bit of a traditional yeah, interview yeah, question, it but is. as a young coach, you know, where, know. where are you looking to next and maybe further down the line? What's it? Do you know what? It's not so much about, oh, I've got to be in the Prem, or got to be in the Championship, or got to be in the Top League. I think I, I, I want to be, of course, with a club that's got ambitions but to be in an environment that embraces my ideas if you look at Uster Suns as an example for Graham Potter I know he's had to work a long while to get them to where they are uh, but it's a club that is just totally into his into his ideas and to try and find an environment that is uh, because last year I felt like I wasn't always in the right environment for to, to coach and to develop as a coach I learned a lot of things but also to develop a team mm. to develop a team in the way I want them to play I think that in three years would be it'd be great to have a team that can do that yeah. well that's it Ian Birchner thank you so much for talking to us so, yeah it's been a fascinating discussion and yeah hope to see you back in the roles very very soon so pleasure thank you so thank much you. well I've got to say that was absolutely fantastic it's probably one of the best interviews uh, one of the best guests we've, we've ever had on this uh, podcast John truly fascinating absolutely superb what stands out for you there? Yeah, thanks, Steve. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, it was a, a really good day, to be honest, and it was nice spending time with, with Ian to get his, uh, his, his version of events. I think it was quite a controversial subject at the end of last season, towards the end of his time there, and it was good to get his perspective and his own point of view. You know, there's always two sides to every story, and I feel that it was good to get his, his, his take on the situation. I think perhaps many people will be surprised at the extent of the financial difficulties that Viking were having at the time but as Ian's pointed out they are a massive club and so for a young manager of that age you know sort of mid-30s to, to experience that in very early in his career is, is um, I think a fruitful probably experience going forward even though it was very challenging at the time so yeah I hope the listeners will get some value from that and enjoy it and um, yeah I certainly enjoyed t- taking part in it and having the opportunity to speak to him. Yeah, I mean, I defended him a lot last last season on the podcast, and I certainly stand by uh, all those times that uh, I did that. I truly believe he was dealt a really poor hand of cards. You know, that's not an excuse necessarily for for bad results, but upon hearing that interview there, the situation was even worse than I expected. It was probably worse than a lot of people imagined as well. So I think they actually did really well to to battle through as, as, as well they did to be honest, uh, last season. And he just comes across as a really top bloke to me. And I think there's a great future in the game for Ian. The next club that picks him up, I think they've got a real asset on their hands there, John. So once again, big, big thanks to Ian for taking part uh, in this episode. Really hope the listeners got a great insight into uh, his version of events and Ian Birchnell, the man himself. Yeah, and we'll be bringing you plenty more exclusive content on the Nordic Football Podcast. That was... I believe one of the first interviews in terms of giving Ian's side of the story. So, yeah, hopefully, all interest listeners. And we've had, you know, plenty of other interviews in the past. Michael Jolly, obviously, Jamie Hopcart, Tony Ordinas, Sean Constable. So, ahead of the new season, we'll be bringing you more and more, hopefully, big names and big interviews. So, stick with the Nordic Football Podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Nordic Football Podcast, 
type that in your browser and it will come up and uh, also on Twitter at NordicFootPod. Uh, give us a follow, give us a like, you know, share the podcast, all that kind of stuff and keep us keep us going. Yeah, uh, that's it for this particular episode. We'll see you all next time. So goodbye, take care.